learning. Okay. Good evening. And tonight is a good night, like any night, to learn from the Rebbe's teachings. We're learning about the Parsha of Ayakel. So, as usual, um, I can't promise you that the talk that we're learning was, was said specifically in connection to the Parsha of Ayakel. But the theme of the talk is connected to the Parsha, and I'll tell you why. Because in this week's Parsha, we learn about the actual fundraising that was done for the Mishkan, for the Tabernacle. Okay, so three weeks ago, we started, we started in Parashas Trumo, we started to learn about the instructions of how to build the tabernacle in the desert. The very first thing that God tells Moses is that you should instruct the people that they're going to donate to the construction of the tabernacle. They're going to give a Truma, a donation. And they're going to give it based on how much they want to give. And there's all different types of, um, all different types of uh, things that we need, all different materials. And, um, and then he tells them the instructions of how to build the different parts of the tabernacle, the actual structure, and then the furniture. In the next parasha, in Tetzabah, we learn about the uniform of the Kohanim and the Kohen Gadol. And we also learn about uh, the, the incense altar that's in parasha Tetzabah. Last week, we actually learned about the wash basin. Yeah, the wash basin. We also learned about the half shekels, the silver half shekels that were collected in order to make the sockets for the structure of the tabernacle. Finally, in this week's parasha, Vayakel Moshe, Moshe gathers the Jewish people and he says, okay, now we got to get to work. Now we got to actually build this tabernacle. And the very first thing we need to do is we have to make the collection. We have to make the official uh, fundraising drive uh, to get all of the materials in place. And the Jewish people, they did it very quickly. They were so excited. There was so, so much momentum that in one day, everything was collected to the point they made a big announcement in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the camp. Stop giving. That's it. We're done. We're not accepting anymore. Thank you. That's very, that's very kind of you. Um, so don't give any more. We don't want any more of your money. Yeah, That's what they said in those days. In one day. In one day it was all done. What? In those days, they said, you know why? Because in those days, whatever they needed, they didn't have to take out a mortgage in order to build the tabernacle. They didn't have to pay anything every month. You know, they, they had everything covered right away in one day. So, uh, good deal. So, today we're going to learn about charity. We're going to learn about the idea of giving charity. Also, a very interesting thing. We see that in Parsha of Ayakel, the Jewish people basically broke all barriers when it came to giving charity. They gave it immediately and, and like with such excitement. It's like something that never happened before and happened, never happened afterwards. Such an excitement to give and to give above and beyond their means. So today we're going to learn a sikha where the Rebbe kind of touches upon this concept, the idea of breaking all boundaries when it comes to giving. So in order to understand this talk, I want to give you a little bit of background. So by now we're all familiar with the concept of a fabrengen. Rebbe would, would hold a gathering. Everyone would come into the big synagogue in 770 and the Rebbe would sit by the table. I'm sure you've seen videos or pictures of this and the Rebbe would speak. Um, and in the middle of talks, which were 25 minutes to 40 minutes, depending on the talk, whatever it was, there was a break of about five, five to 10 minutes. They would sing a nigin, a Hasidic song, and everyone had the opportunity to fill up a, a little cup of wine and to say l'chaim to the Rebbe. Now, the Fabrengen, th this was the format through which the Rebbe would communicate with the world, not just with the Chassidim, but with the world in general. This was, uh, so, I mean, uh, you know, as technology started to catch up to the Rebbe, 
they started to have what they call the telephone hookup system, which uh, broadcast the Rebbe's, uh, you know, live. You were able to, if, if, if you had a phone line and you paid enough money for it, uh, you were able to hear the Rebbe speaking through your telephone. Many of these Fabrengans were broadcast on radio, and later on, they were even broadcast on television. Now, in 1974, right before Rosh Hashanah of 1974, the Rebbe started a new custom. That is, that at the end of the Fabrengan, the Rebbe would give everyone that was there a dollar bill. Now, hold on. We're all familiar, I'm sure you've heard, in 1986, the Rebbe started the custom of standing in the room adjacent to his office in the entrance of 770, and anyone was able to come by and they were able to give them a dollar to give to charity and they were able to ask the Rebbe whatever you wanted. I'm sure you've seen the videos and pictures of it. Um, this was 12 years before the Rebbe started this. This was 12 years earlier, 1974. And the Rebbe said that he wants that from the Fabrengen, it shouldn't just be you know, an intellectual experience, an inspirational experience, but it should be um, you know, an, a, an experience that brings with it an action. That all those that are by the Fabrengen should receive a dollar and give that dollar to charity. However, the Rebbe is not going to sit and hand a dollar to every person by the Fabrengen. You had uh, approximately uh, several thousand people that are by the Fabrengens, depending on the Fabrengen. So the Rebbe said that he is going to give the dollars out through messengers. And who are those messengers? The tankists. You know what that means? Huh? No. <laughs> the tankists. What's a tank? A tank is, you know, those big tanks oh. and they, you know, they break down barriers and they, they all run over the place. So a tankist is someone that's in the tank. In Hebrew, we call it tankist, right? Someone is in the tank and he, you know, he, he shoots the guns and all that type of stuff. But in 1974, I believe, yeah, in 1974, Chabad came up with a new twist on the word tank. Oh. They started these mobile homes, they, they took these, these trucks and they put signs all over them and they went out to the streets of Manhattan, other places in New York, and other places in the world, and they went up blurring music and they went to invite Jews onto their mitzvah tank to do a mitzvah, right? The, the, the idea was mitzvahs on the spot for people on the go. Come and do a mitzvah. This started in the summer, not the summer of 1974, and it was wild. It was a wild concept. You had yeshiva boys, the Rebbe's, all the yeshiva boys, out of the yeshiva. This was for several months. The Rebbe was kind of like ingraining this idea in Chabad and in the world that tefillin is not just something you do in the shul. When you're on the streets of Manhattan, you find a Jew, roll them up and wrap them up with tefillin and give out the Shabbos candles to the, to the women. And all the, whatever mitzvah they need to do, you should be able to do it on the spot. This was called the mitzvah tank. And the boys that manned these tanks were called the tankistim. That's like the Hebrew, you know, kind of, I don't even know if it's a real word, but tankistim, the tankists. So the Rebbe said that he's going to start giving out dollar bills to everyone that's by the Fabrengen, but he's going to give piles to the tankistim, to those boys that go out and they do mitzvahs with everyone in Manhattan and everywhere else in the world. Um, and they're going to be his messengers to give them out. So you, if you see a full Fabrengen or whatever it is at the end, the Rebbe makes the announcement, now the tankistim will come up and you have a line of, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, depending on the time, uh, they would come up and, and, and the Rebbe would ask people, you're a tankist? Like, there was no games here. If you weren't a tankist, you couldn't come and get the pile from the Rebbe. In fact, you see sometimes like a, like a little a boy comes back without the hat. He was a tankist. He said, yeah. He would also, he went on the tank and he would go and, and schlep kids. Uh, in fact, one time my uncle, this was in 1976, he was, he, was a, he was 10 or 11, 
and he came, my grandfather brought him to New York for the, the holidays, for Tishrei. And so he went by, and his father, my, my grandfather was a plankist, he would go out and he would rap the phone with people in the, the streets. And he comes with my uncle, who was 11 years old, so I said, he's a plankist. So, that, so my, my, my grandfather said, he makes the announcements of when the Shabbos candles should be lit. Like he says, you know, tonight, you should light Shabbos candles by this time. And I had a big smile that I gave him. A, I don't know if he gave him one or a pile. I forgot about any of the details. The point is only the tankists were able to come up and get the dollars and they'll give it out to every person that's there. 1983, all right? Two days before Pesach, the Rebbe has a Fabrengen. And as usual, the Rebbe is about to give out the dollars. So like everyone's kind of, you know, like the Fabrengen's zone, right? We're all done. Oh, the Rebbe launches into a whole sikha. What's the sikha? What does the Rebbe speak about? That it's actually interesting, the fact that I'm giving out charity by night and on Saturday. It was a Matzei Shabbos. It was a Saturday night. It says, really, I shouldn't really be doing this now, if you think about it. Why? All right, let, let's dive right into it. And it's so fascinating. I was listening to the sikha earlier today. Like, you think the Fabrengen is over. No, the Rebbe goes into like 15 minutes, like a whole very beautiful concept. All right, let's go into it. Page three. Rabbi Yehuda the Chassid. All right, who's Rabbi Yehuda the Chassid? Um, Rabbi Yehuda the Chassid was one of the great esoteric teachers of the 12th and 13th century. Um, he wrote a lot of uh, wonderful books. Uh, but what he's almost, what he's mostly famous for is a book that he wrote, which was called the Tzava'ah. You know that Tzava'ah is a will, a last will and testament. Now, his last will and testament wasn't like, oh, I have this amount of money and that, and these properties, and my kids should get this, and kids should get that. Good Jews, when they write a will, they're actually, they're giving over a message, they're giving over instruction, direction to their children. So he wrote a whole book. <laughs> this is his will. And there are many beautiful concepts in this will. And part of that will is like a list of 70 instructions, what to abstain from doing or what yes to do, what not to do. Um, and many of these instructions became like mainstream Jewish observance. I'll give you an example. One of the instructions of Rabbi Yehuda Chassid, it basically dates back to him, is that a family that has more than one boy, yeah, so you know, I, have, I have two boys in my family. If you honored someone to be the sandik to hold the baby by the bris for one of your sons, don't honor the same person by your next son. Ever heard of that? Yeah, it's a fairly common concept in Judaism. You know, like, and all Jews know this. You don't give sandik to the same person, the same family. No, 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 no. Why? Doesn't say it anywhere in the Talmud, doesn't it? It's from a Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda the Chassid. Um, and there's many others. Uh, for, for example, he says, don't marry off two children on the same day. Your own children, don't marry them off on the same day. Uh, don't marry, a, a woman shouldn't marry a guy whose mother is the same name as hers. Till today, it's kept. First name. And if it happens to be the shidduch, it's exactly the same name, one of them adds a name. Till today, that's how it's practiced. One of them adds a name so their name that it should be different. What's the question? They had names. It happens more often than you think. It does. It's a real thing that goes. I know two people off the top of my head that had to add their names, um, and because of this, for this specific reason. 
My mother-in-law's name is Rachel. She has two daughters-in-law who have the name Rachel, but they have a second name as well. So, you know, th- it wasn't a problem. Anyway, it's a, it's, it's a real thing. It's, it's, a, it's something that, we, uh, that we're busy with. So Rabbi Huda the Chassid writes in his will that one should not distribute money on Motzei Shabbat, the evening following Shabbat. All right. On a Saturday night. There's also a well-known story told over by my father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, that his father, the fifth Rebbe, Rabbi Shalom Ber, instructed his wife not to ask for money for the expenses of the home on Motzei Shabbat, but rather to do so either before Shabbat or on Sunday. So Motzei Shabbat, Saturday night, is not a time to give charity, at least according to Rabbi Yehuda Chassid. Furthermore, regarding charity in general, the Jerusalem Talmud writes, when a certain sage gave charity at night, a claim was lodged against him, accusing him of overstepping the boundaries of the other side. What? We'll get to that in a second. So this seems to raise a question with regard to charity distribution right now. It is now evening, and it is also Motzei Shabbat. The, the, Rebbe, the Rebbe has all the dollars ready. The tankists are lining up. And the Rebbe's like, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing this, huh? Maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Now, what is the story from the Jerusalem Talmud? Source number one. We're on page four. Rabbi Chinana Bar Papa used to distribute his charity at night. So he was one of the Talmudic sages who lived in the land of Israel. He would distribute his charity at night, apparently because he didn't want people to see him going around distributing the charity. By night, it's dark, right? One time, the minister of evil spirits encountered him. See, he wasn't your typical guy, this chidon of our papa. He was meeting up with evil spirits. The angel said to him, did not our teacher, God, teach us, do not displace your neighbor's boundaries? This is, what do you mean? In other words, what he said was, nighttime, that's my time. That's the time for the evil spirits. And you're going ahead and giving out charity during that night. This is the time for evil to kind of preside in the world, to, to control the world. So Rabbi Chinana replied, what is in not written, a gift in secret appeases anger. Which means, don't we have to give at night so the recipient does not know the gifter? The angel feared Rabbi Chinana and fled. So in other words, the angel, he had, a, he had a point. He said, hey, you know, nighttime is my, is my domain. Don't encroach on my domain. This is the time. This is not a time for charity. This is a time for darkness, a time for evil. <laughs> Stay at home. Go to sleep. What does tell him? He says, I'm not scared of you. I'm not scared of you at all. In fact, I give it specifically at night because at night, that's when it's proper to give because it should be done quietly. So that the gift, the, the one that's receiving the gift shouldn't know who's giving it to him. And so that angel fled. But Rabbi Chinana didn't, uh, how do you say, he didn't uh, disprove the angel's claim. He was just countering with his own claim. I have something more important than worrying about encroaching on your domain. But the fact of the matter is that officially nighttime, that's the domain of the evil spirits. To the point, source number two, this, is, this happened uh, a thousand years after the story in Jerusalem Talmud. Uh, my master, the Arizal, the holy Arizal who lived in Tzvat, who, is, who was the one who basically all of Kabbalah today is based off of his teachings. Okay? There are other Kabbalistic you know, sources, but the Arizal is like the official, you know, he, he's the authority in all Kabbalistic uh, issues. So it says, my master, the Arizal, would give charity to the collector during the morning and afternoon prayers, but not during the evening prayers. 
So the Arizal was careful not to give charity by night. So, yeah. No, even even till today, we don't we we don't say to him at night till midnight. We don't say to him till midnight unless you're saying it for someone who's ill for a specific purpose. But just to say to him, we refrain from doing so from sundown until midnight. But I don't want that to be the the topic, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a real. So say it. If you ask the rabbi, the rabbi said, you should say it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You should say it. All right. So the answer, right? So, so the rabbi's like, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing this now. Or we have all the sources in the world to say, don't do it at night. Don't do it on Saturday. The answer is, it is customary in many locales, and especially in the United States, that when fundraising meetings are held, they are, for the most part, held together with a malava malka, the customary feast of Motsai Shabbat. When are fundraisers held? Saturday night. That's the custom. Um, then you'll say, well, uh, maybe they just started to do that because they didn't know that you shouldn't be doing it Saturday night. It says these, these are charitable fundraisers held by institutions whose leadership know about the teaching in the Jerusalem Talmud and the will of Rabbi Yehuda the Chassid. So, like, we know about this stuff. We're, we're, not in the, we're not in the dark. In other words, this is an issue that has already been widely dealt with. Because Zebra says, look, right now I'm not going to cancel my giving out dollars at night or on Saturday night, but let's explain why. In other words, the fact of the matter is, the fact is that we have in, in Jewish, uh, in, in Jewish uh, thought and in Jewish behavior, we have sources that indicate that one should refrain from giving charity at night and one should refrain from giving charity on Saturday night. But the fact of the matter is that it's done. People give charity at night, people give charity on Saturday. And we're going to do it here now. Question is, what changed? What happened? Did we forget about Rabbi Yehuda the Chassid? Did we forget about the Jerusalem Talmud? What, what did we forget? So we didn't forget anything. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. First of all, we have to remember that there's no law forbidding giving charity on Saturday night. There's no law forbidding giving charity by night. There's a law that forbids us to give charity on Shabbos. You're not allowed to handle money on Shabbos. Muktzah. That dates all the way back to the Talmud, even earlier, right? So that, even if people are going to start writing out checks on Shabbos, I'm sorry, that's, that's never going to be allowed. It doesn't work that way. You can't do it. You can't take a penny and put it in the pushka on Shabbos. You're not allowed to. That's it. This whole abstaining from giving at night or giving on Saturday night, it was a certain behavior. It was a certain... Um, as I say, people were careful to abstain from doing so for esoteric reasons, but not for halachic reasons. It was never a Jewish law. It was never engraved in stone that one is not allowed to do so. It was always something that came from the area of Kabbalah, from the esoteric and mystical areas of Judaism. It's a time when the demons are in control. Uh, you know, Saturday night is not a time to give charity for whatever reason, but it was never prohibited halachically. Now, the Rabbi Yehuda the Chassid is still relevant today. People still don't marry off two children on the same day, and they don't, they, you know, they, we still are careful with certain things, but it seems that with regard to charity, with regard to um, 
with regard to certain limitations and the giving of charity, people are not careful with that. They've taken away that limitation. They specifically have the meeting at night and specifically on Saturday. Why? And the answer essentially boils down to certain things have changed. Certain things have changed. And now we have to be careful before we dive into this because you know, some of you want to say, well, we have to read because there are certain changes in the world. We have to re-examine the code of Jewish law. We have to re-examine the Talmud, re-examine the Torah, right? Because they're changing things based on certain changes. And so, again, we have to be careful with that. that. That's not what it means. What it means is like this. Very often, very often when it comes to an issue in halacha, the answer is go and speak to a competent rabbi. Why? Why can't I just open up the book and, and follow the rules? The answer is you have to know how to apply those rules. There are certain scenarios that demand different application of the rules. Depends on the scenario, depends on the situation. The same could be true with regard to certain behaviors. Their application depends on the situation of the world. Again, halacha is never bent. Halacha is never changed. But certain ways of how we behave can change based on the situation. And let's get into this. We can explain this matter by analyzing the following statement of the Alter Rebbe in Tan. In these times, when the approaching footsteps of Mashiach are close upon us, the principal service of God is the service of charity. As our sages of blessed memory said, Israel will be redeemed only through charity. So in other words, the closer we get to redemption, the more important charity becomes. Because if redemption is dependent on charity, so the closer we get, the more we have to really, uh, you know, uh, get, get involved in the idea of giving tzedakah. Our sages of blessed memory did not say that the study of the Torah is equivalent to the performance of acts of loving kindness, except in their own days. For with them, the principal area of divine service was a study of the Torah, which is why at the time there were great scholars. However, this is not the case in a time when the approaching footsteps of Mashiach are close upon us, and the sukkah of David has fallen. Now, the Rebbe is referencing to a very interesting Mishnah. Source number three. Here's what the Mishnah says, and actually it's in our Siddur. We say it every morning in the morning blessings after we say the blessing of the Torah. This is the Mishnah that we learn. The following are the things for which a man enjoys the fruits in this world, while the principal reward is not diminished and remains for him in the world to come. What are they? Honoring one's father and mother, practicing charity and making peace between man and his neighbor. Study of Torah is equal to all of them. So it would seem very clear from this Mishnah, and the Mishnah is extremely authoritative, right? The Mishnah is saying, what's priority? What is equal to everything? Torah study. Yeah. So how could the Alter Rebbe come and say, oh, this Mishnah, this statement, that what is equal to everything is Torah study. That was only then. 1,500 years ago, in the times of the Mishnah. Today, what's the most important charity? Charity is above Torah. Charity has much more, much more priority over Torah. How can we go and, 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 and uh, go against what, what the Mishnah says? Yeah, this is puzzling. How can one say that the Talmud statement 
the study of Torah is equal to all of them was only relevant to the days of the Talmud, whereas nowadays the priorities have changed. The answer is that this is not a change in Torah, God forbid, but rather a change in the world. Since, as the Alter Rebbe said, the world has fallen so low in the days preceding Mashiach, the task necessary at this particular time is to elevate the world through charity. According to Torah law, a time-specific mitzvah outweighs Torah study. Now, this is an important thing. This is an important thing. So the Mishnah says, Torah is the priority. Torah is equal to them all. But the Mishnah also says that if there is a situation where a mitzvah needs to be done right now, you stop learning Torah and you do that mitzvah. You stop learning Torah in order to build a sukkah in order to go out and sit in the sukkah. You stop learning Torah if someone needs to be buried. You stop learning Torah in order to wear tefillin, in order to put a mezuzah in your You have to stop whatever needs to be done right now. You have to stop learning Torah and do that mitzvah. If the mitzvah could be done by someone else, you continue learning. Someone else is doing the mitzvah. But if the mitzvah will not be done by anyone else, or that mitzvah has a specific time that it must be done, and you have to do it, you have to stop learning Torah in order to do that mitzvah. So today, our world is in a situation where charity must be done. So since the situation changed, so the application of the law changed. No longer is is Torah the priority. In this situation, tzedakah is priority. Am I making sense? Yeah. No, I'm not making sense. Okay. That's a great argument. If the why don't they close on the yeshiva it's a very good suggestion. When we're learning, we have to understand very well. So we have to challenge the learning. Based on what the Rebbe is saying here, it would seem that having a yeshiva of people sitting and learning a whole day is, is contrary to the whole purpose of, uh, of what we're supposed to be focused on today. We should shut down the yeshiva, send everyone to work, become professionals. We should make millions of dollars and give charity. What are they going to give charity to? <laughs> no, but it's a good question. It's a, it's a fascinating question. And, um, and, and it's a question we have to deal with. If, as the Alter Rebbe said, today, priority is charity and not Torah, so why do we have so many yeshivas? Why are people sitting and learning Torah? So the answer to that is the following. Number one, first of all, it depends what type of yeshiva you're talking about. Young people must be in yeshiva. No question about it. If a young person is not in yeshiva until they're 22, 23, 24, they're not going to be able to be a Jew in the world. When they go out to work, etc., they're not going to be in yeshiva, immersed in learning. Throughout those years, we could forget about it. Thank you for me. Not just for me, huh? In order for a Jew to be a competent, proud Jew in the world, he must go to yeshiva. There's no question about it. So if you have the opportunity to go to yeshiva, for sure you have to go to the yeshiva, right? If I have a son, the only way that I would do justice to my son is if I stick him into yeshiva and don't allow him to leave until he's 23, 24. That's it. It's the only way to make them a proud the healthy Jew in the world. And when I talk about yeshiva, I mean yeshiva, they learn nothing else besides for Nothing else. Literally. 
That's the only way they're going to be proud, competent, strong Jews in the world out there. The world is quite a distracting place. The world is a dangerous place for a Jew. And so they need to have that issue. You're asking, what about after they got married? They already have kids. They're sitting in yeshiva. They're 30, they're 40, they're 50, they're 60. Still sitting in yeshiva. What's wrong with this guy, right? So my answer is like this. First of all, huh? What? Because I'm a funny guy. <laughs> See, that's what they teach you in yeshiva, to be a comedian. So, so here, here's, here's the deal. And, and the answer to this is the following. First of all, you do need to have a certain select cadre of, of people of scholars that sit and learn the whole day, all the time. Because the fact of the matter is that Torah, and in order to develop Torah, in order to develop the, the Torah law as it applies to our current uh, day and age, you, you need to have people that are steeped in Torah learning all the time. It's, 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 it's a necessity for the continuation of Torah, for the teaching of Torah, etc. It is extremely uh, encouraged that these people that sit and learn, they should also teach, etc. So also, you know, they're doing a job, right? But their minds have to be immersed completely in Torah study. And the rest, yeah, they should go out to work. They should go and make money. Um, the Rebbe would not allow people to sit in Koilo for more than two, three years. There was a select few that would continue for more. Otherwise, they would send them out. We'll see later what type of charity he was talking about in that, in, that, in that situation. But in Chabad, it's not accepted, this concept of wholesale sitting and learning in the Shiva all day. It's inappropriate. Why? This is one of the reasons. In the times of the Talmud, that's what they were supposed to do. In fact, it's even more than that. In other words, when we talk about the situation has changed, what we mean is, I saw a beautiful explanation from Rabbi Steinsatz. He said, it's an interesting thing. He said, all of history and destiny, the, the Jewish nation from the beginning until the end is like in the image of Mashiach. We're like the body of Mashiach. So certain generations are like the head. Other generations are like the, you know, the main part of the body. Other generations are the hands. And other generations are the feet. And when everything is going to be done, then like the image of Mashiach has been completed, then Mashiach will come. In the times of the Talmud, they were busy with Mashiach's head. That, in other words, the main focus at that point was the head, the head of the Jewish people, the intelligence of the Jewish people, Torah study. That's why you had tens of thousands of Jews that were sitting and learning Torah all day and all night. That was the focus. That was the goal. At the time, Torah study. But the Altarabbah says, today, we're not in the times of the Talmud. I don't have to prove it to you. You know that for a fact. We're not in the times of the Talmud. We're at the days of the heels of Mashiach. The feet. Our job today is the mitzvahs. And what's the most important mitzvah? Charity. That's why today, the focus is not Torah study. Of course, we have to learn Torah. That's not a question. Of course, we have to learn Torah. And we have to support those that are capable of learning every single day, all day and all night. Not everyone's capable of such a thing, by the way. You know, <laughs> not a, you know, you, some people, even if you would pay them to sit in the yeshiva from 6 in the morning till 12 at night, they would say, no, I don't want that, right? Anyway, there's a very select few that are even capable of such a thing. So the, the main focus of this generation is the, is, the, is the mitzvah of charity. So if that's 
the main focus of the generation. So how could you have limitations of when you can give charity when not? Of course, we're not we're not going to take away the halachic limitations of charity. You're not allowed to give tzedakah on Shabbos. You can make pledges, but you can't write out a check. You can't give the money. But by night, of course, do it at night, because this is the this is the purpose and the goal of this generation. The same is true in our case. Standing at the end of the exile, when charity has become a mitzvah of immediate importance, our sages say Israel will not be redeemed but through charity. All the limitations regarding charity donations in the evening or on Motzei Shabbat have become null and void due to the immediate importance of charity. Again, we're not changing Torah. We're not saying that Yehuda the Chassid is wrong, etc. But the situation has changed. Since the situation changed, we're dealing with a different, a different situation. So at this point, now we can give charity whenever and wherever. This also explains why this custom for all fundraising events on Motzei Shabbat originated specifically in this country. <laughs> Never goes like, oh, why did it start in the United States? The arrival of Jews in the United States was God sent. Originally, it was difficult to understand why God caused the Jewish people to immigrate to America, a land dry of Judaism, a place which presented so many spiritual challenges in the early years. It was almost impossible to keep Shabbos. People knew that if they were immigrating to America in the early 1900s, that's it. There was no Shabbos. No, it, was, it was over. Two generations later, the kids were barely Jewish. So what's going on? But after the upheavals in the old world, heaven protect us, right? We're talking about the Holocaust. It became obvious that the purpose of the establishment of the Jewish community here was to earn significant wealth and to be in the position to rescue their brethren in Europe. This is not, however, the time to discuss this at length. But the fact of the matter is, ever since we look at the history, that's pretty much what happened. If not, for the, if not for the fact that the Jews in America were well-established and extremely wealthy, the millions of Jews that were displaced in Europe would have nothing. The Joint Distribution Committee, where were they getting their money from? From American Jews. The State of Israel, how did they have their money? From American Jews. And all of this was simply in order to absorb the you know, all of those Jews that needed a place to be after the Holocaust, right? So it turns out that America was a godsend, right? Therefore, since the American Jewish community excels in fulfilling the mitzvah to give charity, it was here that the custom developed to hold fundraisers also on Matzei Shabbos and Saturday night, thereby emphasizing the vital importance of charity in this generation. And then it says, I'm not going to kid you, and you're not going to kid me. We know why they do these things on Saturday night. You know why they do these fundraisers on Saturday night? The rest of the week won't show up. It's even better. The superficial reason is that people do not work on Sunday. Wall Street is closed. And by scheduling the, the events on Monday Shabbos, the fundraisers will not have to worry that people will leave early in order to get to sleep early, in order to run off to work early the next day. They will therefore be able to patiently sit until a late hour and sit through all the speeches of the benefactors, who, of course, in exchange for their donation, want the right to speak just as long as they please. In fact, I was listening to today. Rebbe says, you want the donor to give without limitations, so he wants to speak without limitations. So you have to, you have to let him speak without running out of, without running out in the middle. So in other words, why would it, why did they plan these things for Saturday night? It's the best time to do it. That's when everyone's come. They just came from Shabbos. They're not running off to work on Sunday. So it was the perfect time to do these fundraisers. 
That's the superficial reason, the Rebbe says. What's the inner reason? The inner reason, however, is as mentioned above, that in the end of the exile, charity has become a mitzvah of immediate importance and cannot be pushed off. And so, it's Saturday night, you have the opportunity to give charity, give. It's nighttime, you have the opportunity to give charity, give. Why? Because the situation in the world has changed. And therefore, the application of these, um, of these uh, rules has changed. The rule of Rabbi Yudhav al-Chasid doesn't apply anymore. Not to give on Saturday night. The rule of, of the Arizal, not to give by night, based on the Jerusalem Talmud, also doesn't apply anymore. Why? Because the situation is such that it's a, it's a, it's a, the, the high priority, the urgency of this generation is to give charity. Right. It originates from the Jerusalem Talmud, but again, it's not, it's not like a law in the Talmud. In fact, Bar Papa, he gave out charity by night. They had no problem. He brought that story to show that there is, there is reason to believe, there's reason not to behave in that, that way. There's reason to behave in a way that you abstain from giving by night. But the fact of the matter is we don't do it. If then in the times of the time of the my papa said, hey, I couldn't care less about these, uh, about these bad uh, demons and spirits. I'm, I'm going ahead. I'm doing it. Um, so it's a very beautiful, and, and obviously the Rebbe gave out the dollars, etc. Never also mentioned, you know, if you're really worried about it, don't worry. I'm giving out the dollars and you're going to give it to a pushka. You, the poor person is not getting it until tomorrow. So like, if you're still worried about it, continue. It's, it's fine. As long as you give the charity. But here comes actually a very beautiful story. I love this story. This I never said on a different occasion. This was in, 19, in 1983. This one came from 1957. It says like this. Never says a story about himself. Once I was in the synagogue at night and I deposited some money into the charity box. The Rebbe was in Paris. Whenever I said the story, he said, I was in Paris. I never lived in Paris from 1933 till 1940, 41. When the Nazis came, he, he ran away to Vichy and then he came to the United States. It says, once I was in the synagogue at night and I deposited some money into the charity box. When someone approached me and argued, how could you do this? After all, it is stated in the writings of the Ariza that charity should not be given at night. And he knew who the Rebbe was. The Rebbe was a known scholar. He said, for sure, you, a man of your caliber, you know what the Arizal said, what the Arizal writes, so how could you keep charity by night? Afterwards, when I was with my father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, I told him that I had been chastised that day, and I told him the story about giving charity at night. The Rebbe replied and said to me, this fellow probably does not give charity during the day either. And therefore feels bothered when he sees another person giving charity at night. You hear the, the, the undercurrent here. In other words, the main thing is that you give charity. If you start to argue with the guy, eh, don't give by night. You give charity by day too. Like, well, all of a sudden you're so holy, such a holier than that type of guy. So now, so 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 here we here we see how charity is the urgent the the, the, the urgent mitzvah of our generation because that's what's going to bring Mashiach closer, and that's what's actually going to make Mashiach come. And therefore, all limitations when it comes to charitable giving are out the window. When it comes to charity, so there is the money charity, which is extremely important, and that is the mitzvah that is spoken about. But then there is also spiritual charity. And we'll see how specifically in this generation, the Rebbe said, the Rebbe declared that spiritual charity is the call of the hour. What is spiritual charity? Our sages have taught 
This is this is from a letter of the Rebbe from like 1950. From 1950, yeah. Our sages have taught that through giving charity to a needy person, one's prayers secures and draws down a good life, redemption and salvation, livelihood and sustenance. This is especially true. I mean, first of all, that's one of the reasons why we give charity before prayer every morning. And also one of the reasons why before Rosh Hashanah, it's a time to give extra charity because that's a time that we're praying that God should give us a good and sweet new year. Now, the human being, like all created beings, and including even sublime angels, has a body and a soul. Just as a person can be poor in body and in the needs of the body, so too a person can be poor in soul and in the needs of the soul. Therefore, with regard to charity, there is material charity and spiritual charity. As our sages teach, how does one fulfill the obligation when you see the naked clothe him? So you'll say, well, <laughs> yeah. Literally, if a person doesn't have clothing, he needs clothing, Get him a pair of clothing, right? Give him charity. It says, if you see a man who has no words of Torah, bring him into your house. Teach him Shema and prayer. Teach him and encourage him to observe the commandments. Here we see very clearly, when the Torah tells us, go and clothe the naked, feed the hungry, etc., it doesn't just mean in a physical sense. There's something called naked spiritually as well. He has no mitzvahs. He's hungry spiritually. He doesn't know Torah. He doesn't know how to do a mitzvah. Go and find them. Go and teach them. Make it available to them. Show them that it's something that they can learn, that they can do. They don't have to be on a high level to do a mitzvah. They don't have to know Torah in order to put on tefillin. The guy just found that he's Jewish, wrap him up with tefillin. There are some people that believe that, no, first they just to come into the yeshiva and learn Gemara, learn Talmud for three months, and then we're going to put on tefillin. Are you crazy? You denied him for three months to put on tefillin. What's going on over here? Why are you denying a Jew from his basic necessities? Just as each man and woman among us asks to be inscribed and sealed for a good year materially and spiritually, so should each one of us exert himself in extending both material charity and spiritual charity, particularly in the days of Elul and Tishrei. And as we stand during these days before the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be He. Each man and woman among us will have in hand a large account, large in proportion to his ability, of acts of charity that he has undertaken to save the pauper in body, and acts of charity that he has undertaken to save the pauper in soul. Just as with... Oh, okay, so first of all, we have spiritual charity. In addition to material charity, we have spiritual charity. Now, there brings up another, another idea. Some might say, who am I to teach someone else there? I barely know any Torah myself. Who am I to teach someone else how to put on tefillin if I just learned how to put on tefillin yesterday? I'm not even sure I know exactly. Whatever. I, you know, uh, who am I to go and convince someone else to do a mitzvah? Just as with material charity, even a person who is materially poor is under an obligation. In other words, even the poor have to give charity. For there is no poor man who cannot find a way to help a fellow papa. So too with spiritual charity. Even a person who is spiritually poor has an obligation to give. There is no Jewish man or woman who cannot influence the sons and daughters of the Jewish people and bring them nearer to the fear of heaven and to the Torah and its mitzvahs. So just like there are no limitations when it comes to material charity, give at night, give Saturday night. Why? Because this is the urgent call of the hour. 
So it's with regard to spiritual charity. Everyone can be a teacher. Everyone can be an inspiration. Everyone has the obligation to go. If you know Aleph, teach Aleph. If you know how to do one mitzvah, go and teach that mitzvah to someone else. If you know the secret that in order to walk into Chabad, you don't have to know how to read Hebrew, you don't have to have any background in Jewish thought or whatever, go and tell, share that secret with someone else. There are so many people out there that think that in order to come to Chabad, you have to be Orthodox. In order to come to Chabad, you have to know how to read Hebrew. It's not true. It's not true at all. That itself, just by breaking the news to a fellow Jew, that itself could be a major, a major breakthrough, a major thing. So that's the big idea for today, for the parasha of Ayakel, that charity is a very important mitzvah, and in this generation, it is the most urgent mitzvah, and therefore all limitations are away, or they, they fall to the wayside when it comes to charity, and there's not only the obligation for material charity, we also have the obligation to give spiritually as well. Thank you all for joining sure. us. Sure. Yeah. Any, any thank questions? You, thank you. Charity at night's okay. It's it's encouraged. Thank you. Encouraged. Thank you, Rabbi.